come up towards you, because I think for, for all of us as Christians, if you consider yourself to be a Christian today, as we approach Christmas, we talk, don't we, about understanding the real message of Christmas and not getting caught up in all of the trappings of the tinsel and the trees and the tiny terrors that are called children. And we, we talk all about that and, and, and so much. And I think sometimes we talk about it, but we get caught up in all of that stuff as well, don't we? And I think when you approach the subject of worship as well, I think there's something very similar to worship as there is to Christmas, that with worship we can get caught up in the trappings and miss the real focus and focal point of worship. And what I'd like to do this morning at the nine o'clock, okay, and so nobody else in the whole church is going to do what you're going to do in this next hour. Isn't that exciting? How exciting is that? What we're going to do just with a select group of people here this morning, the special people of the church, no, sorry, stop it now, Leon, because you're going to get out of hand there, is I'm going to just talk about worship and and, and give, ourselves, give ourselves an hour this morning to leave all the trappings aside and just to worship our King. Is that alright? Just to worship our King today. In John chapter 4, there's a classic text on worship. And I want to read it from the message translation. It's where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's a classic text on worship. And he says, uh, she says, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, she says, our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship. And then Jesus says, believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father, neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark, we Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming, it has in fact come, when what you're called will not matter. Isn't that great? What you're called will not matter. Where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live your life that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits their true selves in adoration. And I love that, and I think the message puts it beautifully, because it talks about the fact that Jesus is saying, listen, worship is not about this mountain or that mountain. It's not about this or that. It's about you engaging with God out of your very being in spirit in the pursuit of truth. And just three principles, I think, about worship I want to just share with you. Firstly, worship is not an act. It's an attitude. So in other words, she's saying, do we do it here or do we do it there? And he's saying, it's not about the act, it's about the attitude. And Jesus says in in, in the original translation that the Father seeks worshippers. He doesn't seek worship, he seeks worshippers. See, we can come together in a minute, we're going to sing some songs and that will be an act of worship, which is great, but primarily God isn't after an act of worship, he's looking for worshippers, isn't he? People who will engage with God in their everyday lives and as well as sing to him, will live for him. And they are worshippers. And, and the Bible says that God seeks worshippers. It's the same word used in John 10 when it says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. So it's like God has got this passionate pursuit of people who are worshippers. It's not primarily about what we do, but it's who we are, isn't it? Our worship is about who we are. Worshiping God is about who we are. So it's not an act, it's an attitude. Secondly, it's not a method, but it's a mindset. In other words, she was hooked up on, is it on this mountain or that mountain? In other words, is it hymns or songs? Is it 
slow or fast. Is it? And, and Jesus is not anything to do with that. It's not a method. It's a mindset. It doesn't matter whether you use hymns, songs. It doesn't matter whether you use any music at all. What's really important is that you're worshipping God, not in a method, but in a mindset of engaging with God. I love the way the message puts it. You worship guessing in the dark. We worship in the clear light of day. Isn't that beautiful? We worship in the clear light of day. Worship has to be accurate, the truth of who God is. And then thirdly, the third principle, it's not about a ritual, it's about a relationship. And Jesus says there's a time coming when all of this stuff's going to be out the way and you'll just worship him in relationship. And I love that phrase, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God wants you, whenever you worship God, whether that's on your own, whether it's just in the car, whether it's corporate like this, to be yourself. Do you know that? That means that we don't like, let's use this as an example here. We don't say, right, if we've got problems and difficulties, let's leave them at the door and come and worship. We don't do that. We bring them with us. And we bring them into our worship and we say, God, this is who I am right now and I'm worshipping you and I'm praising you, but this is who I am. This is, the problem is, when you leave your problems at the door, you come in and worship God. When you go out, you pick them up again. Isn't that right? But God wants us to be who we are and we say, I'm worshipping you. I've got some issues. I've got some struggles, but I'm worshipping you through them. And you'll find that God meets you in that when you are honestly before him in worship. What we, you see, what we often do in worship is we, talk, we think about it's what we ought to be rather than what we are. Do you know what I mean? So I ought to be happy, so I will be happy rather than, well, I'm not happy right now, but I'm still worshipping you, but I'm honestly myself before you, and that's important. So what I want to do is I want us to take about 45 minutes this morning to think about worship of Jesus, and we're going to use some characters from the Christmas story, okay? You're going to hear some readings this morning from people. And so there'll be a reading and then I'll just make a few comments about aspects of worship that I see in those individuals uh, in the Christmas story. So the first one we're going to look at is Joseph. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thanks, Dan. When Joseph woke up, it says he did what God told him to do. And an aspect of worship, or two aspects of worship I see in Joseph, is obedience and sacrifice. You see, sometimes we think that to worship God means that um, we'll engage with God when everything's going well and when there's no challenge on our life. How many of you know that's not the case? Obedience and sacrifice are clearly important aspects of worship. To do what God asks him to do, even though it cost him, is worship. 
It is worship. Let me read this chapter to you from a book by Max Licado. He talks about Joseph being like going out on a limb. So the, the analogy here, because he's a carpenter as well, is a tree and going out on a limb. Listen to this. Joseph was perched firmly on his branch in the tree. It was thick, reliable and perfect for sitting. It was so strong that it did, he didn't tremble when the storms came, nor did he shake when the winds blew. No, this branch was predictable and solid and Joseph had no intention of leaving it. That is, until he was told to go out on the limb. As he sat securely on his branch, he looked up at the limb God wanted him to climb. He'd never seen one so thin. That's no place for a man to go, he said to himself. That's no place to sit. There's no protection from the weather. How could you sleep dangling from that quivering twig? He inched back a bit, leaned against the trunk and pondered the situation. Common sense told him not to go out on the limb. Conceived by the Holy Spirit? Come on. Self-defense told him not to do it. Who will believe me? What will our families think? Convenience told him not to do it. Just when I was hoping to settle down and raise a family. Pride told him not to do it. She expects me to buy a tail like that. But God told him to do it. And that's what bothered him. It bothered him because he was happy where he was. Life next to the trunk was good. His branch was big enough to allow him to sit in comfort. He was near scores of other branch sitters and he made, who made some valid contributions to the tree community. He had, well you could say, he had roots here. Besides, he knew the kind of fellow who would go out on a limb. Radical, extremist, liberal, always going overboard, always stirring the leaves. Guys with their head full of strange ideas in search of foreign fruit. Why, the stable ones are the ones who know how to stay close to home and leave well enough alone. And then in this chapter, he says this. I have a feeling some of you this morning, let's say that, can relate to Joseph. You know how he feels, don't you? You've been there. You're smiling because you too have been called to go out on a limb. Once or twice. You know the imbalance that comes from having one foot in your will and one foot in his. You too have sunk your fingernails into the bark to get a better grip. You know too well the butterflies that swarm in the pit of your stomach when you realise changes are in the air. Perhaps changes are in the air right now. Maybe you're in the midst of a decision. It's disrupting, isn't it? You like your branch. You've grown accustomed to it and, and it to you. And like Joseph, you've been a pretty good branch sitter. And then you hear the call, I need you to go out on the limb. Take a stand. Move. Take your family and move. I have a special work for you. Forgive. doesn't matter who hurt you first. What matters is you go and build the bridge. Evangelize that new family that have moved into your street. Sacrifice. Regardless of the nature of the call, the consequences are the same. Civil war. Though your heart may say yes, your feet say no. Excuses blow as numerously as golden leaves in an autumn wind. That's not my talent. It's for someone else to take charge. Not now. I'll do it tomorrow. But eventually you're left staring at a bare tree and a hard choice. His will or yours. Joseph chose his. After all, it was the only real option. Joseph knew that the only thing worse than a venture into the unknown was the thought of denying his master. So resolute, he grasped the smaller limb. With tight lips and a determined glint in his eye, he placed one hand in front of the other until he dangled in the air with only his faith in God as a safety net. As things turned out, Joseph's fears were justified. Life wasn't as comfortable as it had been. 
the limb he grasped was indeed a slender one. The Messiah was to be born to Mary and to be raised in his home. He took cold showers for nine months so the baby could be born of a virgin. He had to push away the sheep and clear out the cow pats so his wife would have a place to give birth. He became a fugitive of the law. He spent two years trying to understand Egyptian. At times that limb must have bounced furiously in the wind. But Joseph shut his eyes and held on. But you can be sure of one thing. He never regretted it. Sweet was the reward for his courage. One look in the face of that heavenly toddler and he knew he would, doing it, he would do it again in a heartbeat. Have you been called to go out, out on a limb for God? You can bet it won't be easy. Limb climbing has never been easy. Ask Joseph or better yet, ask Jesus. He knows better than anyone else the cost of hanging on a tree. And when I look at Joseph, I think, wow, he, he embodies aspects of worship, obedience and sacrifice. How many of you have ever come to worship corporately and thought, I don't feel like it today? Worship anyway. How many of you have ever thought, I don't know what God's doing in my life? Worship anyway. Or you thought to worship right now would be a sacrifice? Worship anyway. The Bible says bring a sacrifice of praise, doesn't it? And when we look at Joseph, we see two really important aspects of worship. Obedience and sacrifice. Don't wait till you feel like it. Worship anyway. One of the, the favourite two-word phrase that David uses in the Psalms is, I will. I will lift up my eyes to the Lord. I will lift up my hands. I will worship Him. Even if I don't want to, I will because He's worthy of our worship. What about Mary? And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of his humble servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Amen. Joseph embodies obedience and sacrifice. To me, this passage about Mary talks of thankfulness and gratitude. When she writes this great kind of song, really, of thankfulness and gratitude. Mary's response to the visitation of God could have been, Why me? No way. Don't you know what this is going to mean? It could have been all these things, but it wasn't. It was thankfulness and gratitude. Gratitude because God had chosen her. Gratitude because God had blessed her. And gratitude because God was going to use her for something bigger than herself. How many of you know that's a great thing, isn't it? It's a great thing. All of those things are true of us. Do you know that? God has chosen us. God has blessed us. And God has invited us into something bigger than ourselves. But one of the things that threatens and challenges our worship of God is a lack of gratitude and thankfulness. 
I don't know about you, but I find that so much in my own life as well. It's so easy to lose that sense of gratitude and thankfulness. And and I've thought about this this week. Why do we do that? First, I think we lose our perspective. Something happened to us in the week. I think it was this week. Yes, it was this week. Is that Alison woke me up early one morning, okay? And and she woke me up with these... That's my wife, by the way, in case you didn't wonder who that was. You might not know that. She woke up with these words. She said, yeah, it's a good one. She said... said, she woke me up, she shook me like that, well, like that. She shook me like that and said, um, now, I'm going to say something to you and I don't want you to overreact. That was the very truth, that's the truth. That was the first word she said to me when I woke up, it was about half six, one morning. She said, she knows what I'm like, I don't want you to get hysterical and I don't want you to overreact, I've got something to tell you. So I'm thinking, my life, what has happened? And this is what she says, we have no water that's what she said. Don't overreact. We have no water. The pipes are open. We have no water. So I said, all right, and went back to sleep. <laughs> no, I did. So I woke up, and then, and then throughout the whole of the day, so we had no water. So me and Josh are up at uh, uh, my sister's house, just up the road, having a shower. That's fine. Going to, and then I'm thinking to myself, you know what? We woke up, and we had no water. So what? There are millions of people that wake up every day of their life with no water. But we lose our perspective, don't we? In, I need to tell you that when we went home, I got the hairdryer and I freed the water up. That is the first domestic DIY thing I have ever done successfully in my life. Thank you very much. I think so. <laughs> I'm going to live on that for a long time. Alison said, there's nothing you can do. The water board said, you can't do it yourself. You've just got to wait. You've just got to be patient. And you're so not patient. And I thought, right. And I did it and healed the water. <laughs> But the, the point is that I thought it, was, it would have been so easy to get into a spin that we've got no water, we've got no water, and yet millions of people wake up every single day of their lives with no water. And I tell you what, because I've met many of them in Africa, they are the most grateful, thankful people. And yet we who have so much are so lacking in thankfulness and gratitude, aren't we? We lose perspective of how rich we are, of how blessed we are, of how good God has been to us. And we lose our gratitude. We focus on what we don't have rather than on what we do. Have you noticed that? We lose our sense of gratitude. And that around Christmas time, and in fact any time, we should be the most grateful, thankful people on the planet. Not because we're rich and that we're blessed, but because we know God. And we focus on what we don't have rather than what we do. And we forget where our source is. That all that we have anyway is from God, isn't it? Listen to this. Scottish minister Alexander White was known for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. He always found something for which to be grateful. One Sunday morning, the weather was so gloomy, so horrible, that one church member thought to himself, certainly the preacher won't think of anything for which to thank the Lord on a wretched day like this. Much to his surprise, however, the minister began by praying, we thank thee, O God, that it is not always like this. (laughs) What a great sense of perspective. That even when life is really awful to say, God, I thank you, that it isn't always like this. And if you're going through a tough time right now and it's coming up to Christmas, maybe a tough time for you. I know it's for many people and for many families. Thank God that it isn't always going to be a tough time. Even if you're in it right now, the Bible says it too shall pass. And to be thankful and grateful is such incredibly important aspects of worship. And what we're going to do right now is that we're going to just spend some time singing and being thankful and grateful to God for what he's done for you.
for what he's done for us and for what he is. And if you can think, I can't think of anything to thank God for right now, then thank God that the day that you're going through, it isn't always as bad as this. There will be a better day. And even if it is a bad day, God is still worthy of our praise. So let's stand together and we're going to worship God and just be grateful and thankful for who God is. about worship. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Thanks, Sandra. I think other aspects of worship, you know, is awe and wonder. Obedience and sacrifice, thankfulness and gratitude, awe and wonder. I don't know about you, but there have been some times in my life when I've sung songs about God and to God, when I've been so full of awe and wonder. Anyone, anyone identify? And other times when I've sung the same song and nothing. And there are times when I've read something in the Bible or I've engaged in something and I've been so full of awe and wonder. And then you can do the same thing, read the same thing and nothing. And of course, we always talk about Christmas as being a time of awe and wonder, and let's not lose that. But I think more important than that, let's not lose awe and wonder in God. Just at Christmas time, but in who God is. And I think that the loss of awe and wonder is our problem. God's never changed. God never changes, but we lose that sense of awe and wonder. The angels brought good news with great joy and awe and wonder. Mike Iaconelli, who died in a, in a road accident a few years ago, wrote this book, which I know I've recommended many times to you, and some of you have read it, Dangerous Wonder. He says in this, Sometimes I think the people to feel saddest for are people who once knew what profoundness was, but who lost or became numb to the sensation of wonder. And there's a, there should be a little child within all of us, okay, that if it doesn't get stirred up at Christmas time, all right, like if you're one of these grumpy old men or grumpy old women, you might not be old, but you know the program on TV, and you know, there's some, it should be something of the childlike wonder at Christmas time that stirs up within us. And you know, and the Bible says that childlike faith is the thing that gets you into the really experience the kingdom of God. It's not childish, but childlike faith. That sense of expectancy, that sense of, wow, God, you're so amazing. And I get to worship you. And I get to know you. And I get to interact with you. I think that's amazing. And I've had some of that rekindled in my life over the last, the last few months, really, which I've been sharing with you in this last series, The Art of Living Beautifully. Something about that sense of, wow, God loves me and God's passionate about me and has a plan for my life. Even when things are really hard and even through loss and through difficulty, you can know the awe and wonder of God. How is it that we lose our sense of awe and wonder? How is it that we can get so dull in our Christian experience? Perhaps we get too cluttered with stuff. I do think that's an issue. Perhaps we forget that life has a rhythm, that sometimes life is tough, you know, and that there's a rhythm that we have to go through. We can still go through that and have that sense of wonder. Or perhaps we grow old in the wrong kind of way. There was a survey taken, many of you know this, of over 95-year-olds. 
and their parents. No, it wasn't. Over 95-year-olds. And, and the question asked them was, if you had your life again, what would you do differently? And the top three answers of these over 95-year-olds was, number one, take more risks. Number two, enjoy life more along the way. And number three, leave something behind. And when I thought about that, I thought, that's a fantastic thing, isn't it? Take more risks, enjoy life as you go along its way, and leave something behind. And I want to encourage you as we come up towards this Christmas time, but not just because of Christmas, but every time, you know, every day when you wake up, every time when you come to gather to worship, come with a sense of awe and wonder. Don't grow too old in the wrong way. I love it when I meet older people who are still so youthful in their spirit. They're not the older people who are moaning about the young people or who are saying the music's too loud or who are saying, oh, if only we went back to the good old days. They're not that. They're saying, do you know what? I don't really like the music. It's not my kind of thing, but I recognize that life goes on. But I love it seeing young people engage with God. I love it seeing people getting baptized. I love it because we're changing, because we're trying to reach our culture. When you meet old people like that, you think, wow, you have not lost the sense of awe and wonder. And that's a fantastic thing, isn't it? And we're all getting older, aren't we? And the music's too loud for all of us, trust me, okay? And uh, we can't hear the words, I can't hear them neither, okay? But we have to, we want to stay fresh and young, don't we? With that sense of awe and wonder, which I think the, the angels bring us at Christmas time, that sense of awe and wonder. And of course, they brought that good news to the shepherds. What do we learn from the shepherds about worship? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When I thought about the shepherds, I thought, what, what is it about worship that they represent? And of course it could be like, well, they, you know, they brought offerings, they brought their lambs, etc. But wasn't that that really gripped me? What, what gripped me was, was when the angel brought the good news, it, says, it, said, it said, let's go, they said, and they hurried to, to Bethlehem, and when they'd seen him, they spread the word. And there's something about hunger and thirst, which are important aspects of worship. Like they heard the news, but they didn't just hear the news, they wanted to go and see for themselves. They wanted to go and experience for themselves. And you know that in Israel, in this period of time, the shepherds were like the lowest of the low. They were the most disenfranchised people group, really, in terms of their job and their employment status, economically and socially. And yet they didn't care about that. They just hungered and thirst. They'd heard great news of good joy, and they wanted to see and experience for themselves. And if Joseph speaks about obedience and sacrifice, Mary, thankfulness and gratitude... The angels awe and wonder. To me, the shepherds embody hunger and thirst. They they said, let's hurry up. Let's go and see for ourselves what all this is about. This could be the Messiah. And you know, I I think that hunger and thirst is so important uh, as aspects of worship. You know, for me, they wanted to know more. And I want to encourage you, you know, as we come to the end of the year, next year, I want to encourage you to do something next year. Is that okay? When you come to church, 
bring a pen, bring a Bible, write some stuff down. Not that writing stuff down means that you're more spiritual, okay? Not that you can't, God can't touch if you don't have a pen. But actually, when you do start to do that, what I've been amazed the last few weeks, people that are staying, you know, I, I want to go and look at that song. I want to go and read that for myself. Hunger and thirst means you don't just listen, but you want to find it for yourself. You see, when we've done our job well as a teacher, not when you've walked away thinking, oh, aren't they a really good teacher? We, that's not our job. When you've gone away and you think, you know what, I want to read that for myself. I want to find out more about that. That's when we've really done our job well. And to listen and to listen and to have a hunger and thirst means that you want to go and find out for yourself. You want to go and experience God for yourself. I love the character of Thomas in the New Testament. Because when Jesus is dead and, and buried and resurrected and he appears to the disciples, remember that? Uh, Thomas wasn't with them. And so when he comes back uh, and he says, what's all the fuss, boys? And they say, the resurrected Christ came and visited us. He said, I just, you know, we have the whole doubting thing. But it wasn't that he was doubting because he wanted to disbelieve. He just wanted to see for himself. He wanted to experience God for himself. And he hung around long enough. He had a hunger and a thirst. And then when Jesus came, Jesus said, Thomas, I know you want to see for yourself. Touch me. That's a brilliant thing, to have a hunger and a thirst where you want to pursue God. What about you this year? The end of this year, are you passionately pursuing God? Or is your faith gone lukewarm? Actually, I'm not bothered about reading the Bible anymore. I'm not bothered about pursuing anymore. Yeah, I've heard that. That sounds great. That sounds fine. Nothing moves me or is there a sense of hunger and thirst I want to know more of God amen I want to know more of God and finally what about the wise men after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had been had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, Martin. When I think about the, uh, the wise men, two aspects of worship is time and treasures. 
You see, the, the wise men took time to travel to, to, to Jesus and they gave of their treasures. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever thought that's a strange verse? You always want to think, I wonder if it actually you know, should have been, for where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. So what you're passionate about. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say what you're passionate about, that's where your, what's where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's a little bit like this, the proof of worship is where your treasure is. One of the greatest two treasures in our culture are our, is our time and our money. Where our time and our treasure is, is a proof of where our worship is. And the wise men took time and they gave of their treasures. And those are two really important aspects of worship. Obedience and sacrifice. Thankfulness and gratitude. Awe and wonder. Hunger and thirst. Time and treasures. And I want us to stand and we're going to we'll just finish our time together. We'll finish a little bit early just so you've got time to part with your treasures and buy some CDs. Um, <laughs> did you like that, that link there? And we're going to just stand and we're going to just, I'm going to want to pray for you this morning that God this Christmas time will really impact you and that you'll worship him and that there will be some obedience and sacrifice in that. There'll be a lot of thankfulness and gratitude. There'll be some awe and wonder. You know, there'll be some hunger and thirst that you want to know God. And as we turn the page into another year, that you say, you know what, in 2011, I really want to know God more than I knew him in 2010. And there's some time and treasures. And we say, do you know what, perhaps I've been holding back and I've been using the word that I hate with a passion. I'm too busy. That's a, that's a word that we're going to attack in 2011, okay? It's three words we're going to attack in 2011. Tired, stressed, and busy. I'm working on something called the TSB challenge. All right, that's something I'm thinking about myself. I'm just leaving it there with you. You're the first to hear it. Tired, stressed, and busy are three words that I believe we're going to attack uh, in 2011. So let's stand together and we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray that God would just allow you and help you just to have such an awesome time these next few weeks, you know, in worship of God when we're together, but when you're on your own as well. And that you'll just sense, do you know what? God is with me. You know, God is alive. And that sense of awe and wonder, yeah? So why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that you are a great God. That Lord, we thank you that God, as we look into that Christmas story through the lens of worship, Lord, we see a man who was obedient and who sacrificed great cost to himself. We see a woman who was thankful and grateful. We see angels who brought that sense of awe and wonder. We see shepherds who were hungry and thirsty to know you and to encounter you for themselves. And we see wise men who took the time and who gave of their treasures for someone greater than themselves. That's what worship is. That's what worship is. Lord, every penny I've got, it comes from you. Lord, every minute I've got comes from you. Father, you are worthy of my worship. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of everything because you are the Messiah and God I pray that in these last few moments as we just sing and make declarations to you God I pray that you'd fill our lives with a heart of worship that you'd fill us with a heart of gratitude and thankfulness and awe and wonder and that God as we move into another year that you'll make us passionate pursuers of you not lukewarm not 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 routine, but God passionately pursuing you. God, you are our King. We surrender to you and we pursue you with everything that we've got because you're worth it. 
God, I pray that as we get older physically, that God, our spirit will be renewed, that we will have that freshness of worship, that sense of childlike awe and wonder about you again, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.